Hey, welcome. Happy Thanksgiving. Glad you guys are here. So glad you could join us this morning. Uh, we're going to continue in our series. Last week we started a, a little two-week series on gratitude. And last week we looked at the life of the leper who uh, Jesus heals 10, but only one comes back and actually gives thanks to God. And so this morning, our question is, how do, we, how do we live a life like that leper? How do we do that? And we're going to be in Psalm 100 if you want to go and turn there. But as we celebrated Thanksgiving this week, I was reminded of a wealthy Texan. He was an oil man. And every year for Father's Day, he would buy his dad these very unique and extravagant gifts. And one year, he got his dad hang gliding lessons. And he bought his dad his own hang glider so he could go hang glide whenever he wants because that's what every old guy wants to do is go hang gliding. Uh, hope your life insurance is paid up. Another year he got him, he found an entire collection, the complete collection of Beatles vinyl that had been autographed by every single member of the band. And he gave that to his dad. And then the, the final year he, he said, you know what, this is the year my dad's finally going to be impressed. I'm going to get him this. It's a rare South American parakeet. And this parakeet could speak about six different languages. And it could sing all these different songs, his dad's favorite song, The Yellow Rose of Texas. And, and he gave his dad this bird, and he called his dad a couple weeks later and said, Hey, Dad, what'd you think of that Father's Day gift that I gave you? What'd you think of that bird? And he goes, Son, it was delicious. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but, but to me, that kind of reminds me just how often we fail to realize how good we actually have it. Sometimes we fail to realize the value of everything that we have. Uh, his father couldn't see the value that was right in front of him, and it causes us to, to live lives uh, that are ungrateful. And we fail to miss the opportunities that we have to be grateful and to, to uh, live a life of gratitude. And we just celebrated Thanksgiving this past week. Uh, and we had an opportunity to stop and think about what we're grateful for, and the very next day, um, go out and buy more stuff, right? Does that strike anybody else as weird? Like Thursday, you're telling God how thankful you are for everything he's already given you, and then the next day, you're like throwing elbows at Walmart, uh, trying to get more stuff. Uh, To me, that's just mind-blowing. But uh, sometimes we just don't see the value of all that God has given us. And Francis Schaeffer said it this way. He said, the beginning of man's rebellion against God was and is the lack of a thankful heart. The beginning of man's rebellion against God was and is the lack of a grateful, thankful heart. We see this expressed in W.E. Henley's famous poem, Invictus. Many of you may not be familiar with the poem, but the word Invictus in Latin means unconquered. And it it's, brings up this imagery of a man standing at the gates of hell, and he's not afraid because of what he knows he can do, that he is going to be unconquered, and that he is going to survive. In the very last stanza, we read this. The last two lines say, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And unfortunately, many of us buy into that, that we ourselves are the master of our own fate. We are the captain of our soul rather than recognizing God and his authority in our lives. And it works our way into our lives in so many many ways. We see ourselves as as our source of strength. We are our own source of happiness, our own source of prosperity. And even as Christians, we, we run the danger of living lives like this, and we forget to notice and to give thanks for what God has done for us and everything that He has done. And this attitude runs completely against Scripture. 
and is complete opposite of what a spirit-filled life of a Christ follower ought to look like. As those who have put their trust in Christ, we ought to be some of the most thankful people, recognizing just how much God has truly given us. Um, The psalm that we're going to look at this morning is Psalm 100. Uh, Many of you may know this as the old 100th. And this is, I, I chose this passage this morning because in 1620, November 9th, after 65 days at sea, uh, about 120 pilgrims for the first time in 65 days spotted dry land as they came to the New World. They thought they were arriving in Virginia, but it turns out they were just off the coast of Cape Cod. Many of them were now sick and lay dying, and within the next year, half of them would be dead. Half of them would be dead. And at at first sight, after making this long, treacherous journey, at one point, everything was so bad at the open seas that the pilgrims on the Mayflower uh, talked about turning around and returning back to England. They had a main beam on their ship that was cracked, and they weren't sure that they could even make it the rest of the way. But they decided to press on. And after this long journey, when they finally see land, they gather on the deck of the Mayflower, And together they sing this psalm together to give thanks to God. Even after everything they've been through, they're they're so grateful for what God has done. And they're anticipating what God is going to do. That they stop and they give thanks. They give thanks. That, That was the first Thanksgiving. Now a year later, they would sit down and celebrate that God has brought them through. Even after they've lost half of their companions. Half of them are dead. They stop and they give thanks that God has brought them through the winter, through the spring, and allowed them to harvest. And so this morning, I want us, as we complete our season of Thanksgiving, and we go into the real reason we have Thanksgiving, which is Christmas, the birth of Christ, that God gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. And we begin to reflect on that, and we begin to celebrate the birth of Christ and what that means for us I thought it would be important for us to ask the question, what does it look like to live a life of gratitude? We saw last week that this man is healed by Jesus, one of ten, and he's the only one that comes back, and he worships God. But what does it look like to go on and to live a life that every day is one of gratitude? And so we're going to look this morning at Psalm 100. We're going to look at the whole thing, all five verses, all right? Let's start. A Psalm of Thanksgiving. Shout triumphantly to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. Acknowledge that Yahweh is God. He made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for Yahweh is good and his love is eternal. His faithfulness endures through all generations. We're going to look at every single verse this morning, and and we're just going to make, there's five verses, we're going to make five notes about what it looks like to live a life of gratitude. And the first one we're going to see in verse one is it says that we are to praise him. We are to praise him. It says, shout triumphantly to the Lord, all the earth. Now, when's the last time you shouted in a worship service? Anybody? Anybody? It's been a while. It's been a while, probably like when you were a baby and your mom took you in, uh, maybe then, 
But we're, we're encouraged, we're instructed to shout triumphantly. I love the way King James, many of you guys know it in this, this version. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Make a joyful noise. And some of you, like when you try to sing, you're like me, that's about as close as you can get, right? You can make a joyful noise, um, maybe in a different key, but that's all right. We're going to make a joyful noise. Uh, Kaufman Kohler says, this in the Jewish Encyclopedia. He says, No other language has more words for joy and rejoicing than Hebrew does. There are 13 root words in Hebrew that appear in 27 different words throughout the Old Testament that are used uh, to express joy, and they're used primarily for some aspect of joy or joyful participation in worship. 27 different words for joy related to worship. It's amazing that Hebrew Uh, religious tradition demonstrates that God is the source of joy. And the Israelites were to worship him essentially as a joyous proclamation and celebration. They regarded this as an act of thanksgiving for God because of his supreme greatness to us. And so they would shout triumphantly. They would shout, Psalm 1611 says, you reveal the path of life to me and your presence is abundant joy in your right hand are eternal pleasures. Pure joy. God is both the source and the object of our joy. We have to remember that he is the source of our joy. In, in the, the Greek, there's a word uh, that's used about being enthused. Enthusiasm. Like you go to a football game and you think about the enthusiasm that happens when your team scores and, and how you just can't hold it back and you, you just yell. Maybe it's time that as Christians, we got enthused. Like in, in this word, enthused, enthused enthusiasm comes uh, from the idea that it, it's God-possessed in the Greek is what it means. God-possessed. Unfortunately, I think there are very few who worship as if they were possessed by God. There's very little enthusiasm in our lives when it comes to our worship. And we, maybe we have this idea that we're supposed to be a little bit more like the pilgrims like the Puritans, and we're just supposed to wear all black and be drab and dreary all the time. But here, we're told to shout to the Lord. Shout to the Lord. The word literally means to burst forth, right? Think about the button on the front of your pants after Thanksgiving, right? It's about to burst forth like nothing can hold it back. Nothing can hold it back. And we're called to worship our God in a way that we would burst forth, that we would break out in worship. Verse 2 says this, it says, we are to serve the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. Serve him. The second thing that we have to do if we're to live a life of gratitude is to serve him. Service to the Lord implies three things. First, it implies humility. You can't serve someone unless you do it with a humble attitude. You have to come before the Lord with humility. Second, it implies fidelity, faithfulness. We must be faithful to God and God alone. Jesus says no one can serve two masters. We must be faithful to him. And lastly, it implies activity. You can't serve him if you're not doing anything. You can't serve him if you're not doing anything. So we need to be busy serving the Lord. Many people think that service to God is confined to those in vocational ministry. Now here at River Rock, you've often heard us say that the pastors are the equippers and the members are the ministers. We know from Scripture that First Peter tells us that, that we are a royal priesthood. 
and that we have each been given spiritual gifts that are to be used to serve not only God, but to serve his body, the church. So we ought to be busy using our gifts to serve God as a way to say thank you. Uh, I love this quote, God is more concerned with, with uh, what we are than what we do because what we are will determine what we do. What we are will determine what we do. In Deuteronomy 28, God is giving the law uh, through Moses a second time, and he's giving him the law, and he says that, that you will be cursed if you, don't do, if, if you don't serve the Lord with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all the things that he was going to bless him with. Uh, if you are, are not following the Lord and not serving him with joyfulness and gladness, it, it can feel like a curse. Because sometimes what happens is we serve the Lord out of greed. We serve out of greed thinking that he owes us something because I've served him, right? So if I come and I serve God and I do the thing that God wants me to do, uh, he's going to pay me back, right? That's the way it works because he owes me. Other times we serve God and we we serve with a grudge. We come and and we think, oh man, I've just got to do my duty. Better just get this over with. You know, he's, he's God, he's done all these great things for me, but I, I better just serve and get this out of the way so that I can go on and do the things that I want to do. And sometimes we serve God and it's nothing but a grind. We lose the joy of our salvation. We lose the joy of walking with him daily, of, of the blessing that comes from serving him. Uh, and all of these things, all of these things, rob us of the one thing that God desires for us, which is gratitude and gladness. His desire is for us to serve him with gladness. It says, verse 2, serve the Lord with what? Gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Verse 3, moving on, it says, acknowledge that Yahweh is God. He made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture. No one else deserves worship like God. No one, nothing deserves service, deserves praise like God does because he made us. We are his. We are his. He has made us. He comes before our career, before our family, before our children, before our wives, before our own desires, before everything. God must be first. Here's our motivation. You want to know what your motivation is for serving? You want to know what your motivation is for being glad and worshiping? It's this right here, that we would acknowledge that Yahweh, the personal name of God, Yahweh is God. He has made us, and we are his, the sheep of his pasture. He has made us. He made us his own by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, that simply by trusting in him, we could be saved. Our sins would be forgiven and we could inherit eternal life. He has made us his. As he leads his sheep, he leads us to blessing. He guides us. He provides for us. He protects us. We must remember that we are his. And because we are his, we must put him first. There's an ancient Chinese proverb that says, When you drink from the stream, remember the spring. When you drink from the goodness that God has to offer, we must remember that he alone is the source. He alone is the source of all good things. Verse 4 says, We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him 
and praise his name. It's interesting how thanks and praise are tied together twice in this passage. We give thanks. It comes out in our praise. We praise him and it results in thanks. The Israelites could not only experience, could, they could only experience God's presence through the ark. They had this tangible reminder of God's presence with them, and that was the only way they could experience it. They had to go to a certain place in a certain town on certain days, and then they could experience God's presence. We don't have that. Because of Jesus Christ, we know that God is always present with us. We have the opportunity to give thanks and to praise. We don't have to go to a certain place. It's why we're able to worship in, a, in an elementary school cafeteria. And have some of the best worship. Because it doesn't matter where we are. Because we know that 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 dividing wall has been broken down. We know that God is present with us. And we know that 1 Corinthians 6, 19 tells us that we are not our own. You were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That, That God is with us. The Spirit is within us. He lives with us, and we are his. And it's interesting that we find this idea. It says to to enter his courts with praise, to give thanks, and to praise his name. Some translations say to bless his name. And this sounds weird to us. How is it that we, God's people, a sinful people, could possibly bless him or praise him? And and here's, here's what that means. In the Old Testament, we read a lot about people seeking after God's blessing. We have the story of Jacob in Genesis chapter 32. And the angel of the Lord appears to him, and he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. And he says, look, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Like, I am so consumed with getting God's blessing that I'm going to wrestle, literally wrestle with God all night long. And I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm so hungry for God's blessing. And finally, the angel of the Lord blesses him, and he lets him go. And, and we think about that, and we think about what it means. And here's how the Israelites understood it. They understood that the blessing for um, abundant and effective living uh, was needed, and it could only come from God. So when the blessing is being directed toward God, it's not a view of giving it, but acknowledging that he alone could grant it. When they bless God, they're acknowledging, they're not blessing God the way that we would expect God to bless us, but they're acknowledging that he alone is the one who is able to bless. They're acknowledging and giving thanks and praising him because he is able to bless us. When scripture tells us to bless the Lord, it's telling us that we must profess, acknowledge, accredit, recognize, and confess with our words and our actions that he alone is God, the true source of all our happiness and gladness, and thanksgiving. It's natural and proper for us to understand the blessings that God has given us, and for that to well up into thanks and gratitude. We can see how all of these things God is leading us, all the things that he has done for us, and if you're living out gratitude, you are living, uh, you're living a life of praise. Gratitude is displayed in the evidence of our proper understanding of who God is. When you understand that he has made you, that he alone is worthy of worship, you can't help but result in thanks and praise. And that brings us to our last verse, verse 5. This is the why. Why do we praise God? 
For Yahweh is good, and his love is eternal. His faithfulness endures through all generations. So again, we're called to praise God. We're called to praise him. Why? Why? We're told it's because he is good, his love is eternal, his faithfulness endures for all generations. I love this psalm because it not only tells us the what and the how, but the why. We're not only told what to do when we praise and how to praise, that we're to shout triumphantly. We're to serve the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful song, acknowledge he is God. We're to praise him with thanksgiving. But we're also told why. We're told that we serve a God that is good, that he is loving, that he is eternal, that he is faithful to all generations. A life of gratitude is one of worship and praise. And so, how do we do this? How do we live this kind of life? And I think it starts by taking inventory. Taking inventory. Now, we kind of joked a little bit about this last week, about how it's kind of cheesy when you sit around the Thanksgiving table and everybody has to go around and say what they're thankful for. But it's also a great exercise to sit and to spend some time thinking about all the things that God has done in your life. And I want to challenge you this week to take inventory of your own life and to think about all the things that God has done for you. Think about all that he has done. Take inventory. And then the second thing I encourage you to do is this, to take action. Take action. What does it look like for you to worship him with gladness? What does it look like for you to serve him? Is there something that perhaps God is calling you to do in response, as a way to say thank you, as a way to demonstrate your gratefulness to him. I think often, uh, and I know this is the case for me, I'm not very good at saying thank you. Um, My mom always would get on to me as a kid, like, you need to write your grandparents a thank you note, you need to write them a thank you note for the birthday present, which is a big deal in my family, because like, if you don't write a thank you note, then you can expect to not get anything the next year. Because obviously you weren't thankful, and it's like, well, I told you thank you. Like, when I got the gift, I told you thank you. Uh, but there's this thing about writing thank you notes, and I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at saying thank you. I'm not, I'm, it's just not part of who I am. Um, and it's, this is something that I personally wrestle with when it comes to my life and demonstrating my gratitude towards God. Because I often get so distracted by the things... Uh, And let's be honest, we get distracted so much by the blessings that we forget the source. We are so distracted enjoying the things that God has given us that we forget to actually thank him for what he's given us. And I want to encourage us this morning uh, to do exactly that. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of worship. And uh, now, if you are free to shout with joy and gladness as we worship. In fact, I would love it. Like, if this place erupted with shouts of joy and gladness, that would be amazing to me. I had a friend here a couple weeks ago, uh, two friends visiting from the Dallas area, and Stephen's like, can we get those people back? Because they were shouting, they were, like, raising their hands, they were, they were just joyful. And if you know these two ladies, then, then you know, like, that's just their personality. Um, but, man, I would love for us this morning to worship with gladness, with shouts of joy, to be enthusiasm, to be possessed by God, that we would enter his gates with thanksgiving and with praise. On April 30th, 1863, 
President Abraham Lincoln called for a national day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer. And this is what he said as part of his declaration. He said, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved the many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in number, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all of these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. I love these words by Abraham Lincoln as he encourages the people to remember the God who made them, remember all the things that he has done for them, and to stop and to give thanks. And so that's exactly what I want us to do this morning. We're just going to move into a time of worship. And on your bulletin, you'll see the spot that says take two. This is where we would normally stop and and give ourselves a few moments to think about what has God said to me from his word this morning? And perhaps your time of worship this morning as we sing just needs to be a time to sit down and read through Psalm 100 again on your own and to think about the ways that God might have you put that psalm into practice. Maybe he just wants you to sit down somewhere in your bulletin and list all the things that you have to be grateful for and then to write out what it might look like this week to actually live out that gratefulness I can tell you the number one thing that I believe God wants for every single one of us that he would ask of us is that those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ would demonstrate our gratefulness by sharing that good news with someone else We started our service this morning by praying Luke 10.2. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, but if you pray to the Lord of the harvest, he will send workers into his harvest field. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, you have moved from the harvest to a worker. Perhaps God is calling you this week. There's someone in your life who is still a part of that harvest who needs to hear the gospel from your lips. What better way to say thank you for the gift that he has given you than to share it with someone else? To continue to give thanks and to praise him. So I just want to encourage us this morning. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. We're just going to move into a time of worship. You're free to move around the room. You're free to worship however you feel led. If that's sitting, then sit. If that's standing and shouting, then by all means, stand and shout. But let's just spend some time praising our God and thanking him for all that he has done for us.